Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 16 in the New Testament starting with verse 19 and the last time the message was titled properly or sloppily serving God you know before that teaching we had three teachings four teachings in a row on the love of God but the beautiful thing about God's word is that God wants to continue to perfect us to make us better so sometimes we're going to read something that, you know, a lot of even Christians who are in the world, you know, they'll work really hard for their boss or a promotion or their peers. Uh, but, you know, maybe their volunteer works a little sloppy, a little lazy. And Jesus addresses everything. The Bible says that everything we deal with in life is addressed in the scripture. So it's a really, really great parable that he expounds upon. You can check that out when you get a chance. This morning, the message is titled, The Rich Man and Lazarus. Now, if maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home as I didn't, maybe you've actually heard about this. You know, I've heard about that parable. I've heard about the parables of Jesus. Actually, the word parable comes from the Greek parabole, which is actually a transliterated word. It's mostly kept from its original uh, into translation into the English language, and it means to cast alongside. So what Jesus would do is he would come up with these and he's God the Son. He would come up with these stories. Sometimes they were fictitious. And then he would expound upon the symbols and the characters and the metaphors to help us understand spiritual truths. Other times they were true events. Same parable. It's still a parable. But he would use an actual event and he would say, you see that going on? Let me explain to you what this looks like spiritually. Let me explain what God wants from us. So we believe that Lazarus is really a true person. It's a, this is a situation that happened. It was a certain rich man and it was a certain beggar. And he, he names him by name. He goes into great details. And he explains really an understanding of the afterlife. Now, even if you're not a believer here this morning, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're watching on the live stream, uh, even to people who don't know God, what happens when I die? Well, that's a question a lot of people have, but a lot of times they suppress it. But this, this gives us an accurate picture. What I really love is, and this is from my Bible students, and I think a lot of people will find it fascinating, is in this description, Jesus dismantles nine. I had eight, and then uh, two days ago I, I found another one uh, as I was studying. Nine false teachings concerning what happens when we die and the afterlife. So it's going to be really, really interesting, and we're going to take this apart we're going to look at it in five parts. So jumping in to verse 19, Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dog, dogs came and licked his sores. 
So one out of five is a tale of two men. So you see this great contrast, right? There's this rich man and Lazarus. And I find it fascinating the details that are given about who Lazarus was. Well, number one, he was poor because you didn't beg unless you were poor. They didn't have the same social safety nets that we have in this country. So he was poor. Um, He also was disabled. Why? Because he had to be laid at the border or the gate at the rich man's estate. And he would look for whatever, a piece of meat, crumbs, very sad, but right? Uh, Brian's going to Mexico. I know a lot of people who've gone to Central America and a lot of other countries where in the garbage dumps, sadly enough, people are scrounging for food because there are some that are so wealthy that they just throw things out that are good. And there are some that are so poor that to them, that's a treasure. So we still see these things 2000 years later. He was also sick because he had sores, right? He had these sores I'm going to digress momentarily. We have a lot of dog lovers in this church. And I am going to tell you why I'm saying this. But why does Jesus even put that the dogs licked his sores? Well, I have two dogs. And what I've learned over the years being a dog lover is that they, they will debreed or clean another animal if they're sick. It's at peril to themselves because they could catch that infection through their mouth, right? Uh, and they also do it for comfort. Uh, when we were going through the whole COVID thing, the pastors and elders, and we would uh, make these little three, four minute encouraging videos to show on YouTube live and bless the people in the congregation because a lot of them were afraid to come to church. So we try to reach them at home. And I actually was doing one and my dog wouldn't stop licking me and she was photobombing me. And I just want to roll the video. It's, it's quite funny. <laughs> So, Some of you are brand new. You're like, I like this church. This is like, this is pretty cool. But, you know, I bring that up to say that um, I didn't expect her to do it. And she has really bad breath, too, you know. So, uh, but I let her do it. Uh, but anyway, I, I kind of look at the situation and I, I say to myself, what kind of came to my mind was that, sadly, animals were showing more compassion for Lazarus than the man whose house he was laid at the border of. Now, we, we have a lot of toxic, um, I would say, sociological constructs in the United States lately. And this is not a teaching on Marxism. You know, rich people are bad because we're going to find out that we're going to be introduced to where Abraham, who had already died, was in this wonderful place. And he was probably more wealthy than the rich man of the first century. So it's not about rich and poor. But it is about people who allow things to get ahead of them and to not consider God or others, not have any compassion, because it's all about material goods. So we're going to look at that. As a matter of fact, people might say, where was God? The law 
stated Mosaic law to the Jews, and you would imagine that both of these were a picture of two Jewish men, it stated that there shouldn't be a caste system and that when you see someone in that much need, you're compelled to help them. But the rich man in this situation violated the law because he, was, he worshipped himself, his pleasure, and his own riches. As a matter of fact, I'm going to come back to this. Talk about false doctrine. There was a false doctrine, which is similar to the prosperity gospel of today, that the people believed, and this was a way for them to be lazy about loving others. The doctrine taught in the first century that if you were rich, God blessed you. And if you were poor, God cursed you. That's pretty sick. Because some of these people finagled those that were maybe less than them to swindle them out of their whatever farm or their finances and that made them richer and those people poorer so in a strange way they perpetuated it with their behavior so because when we find out where this guy is i don't want you to go oh my goodness especially i got a lot of visitors today uh how does this jive with the love and mercy of god there's justice too and we're going to look at that so verse 22 we continuing on is that is that basically, so it was that the beggar died, Lazarus dies, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. It was probably a very lavish lavish burial. Uh, Verse 23, and being in torments in Hades, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So two out of five is consciousness after death. Lazarus was carried to a place where Abraham, the Old Testament patriarch, good man. Now, this is funny because the New Testament is interesting, speaks about Abraham, uh, Romans 4, in great detail. And it basically said before the law, which came later, before circumcision, which came later, Abraham was justified in front of God because he had faith. He believed in God. He trusted Him. He also trusted Him for the Messiah that wouldn't come until centuries later. So um, Abraham, why is he in a good place? Because people do this. Good works versus bad works. Not at all. Not according to the Scripture. But Abraham is in a really great place. Now this is pre-Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to cover that. The rich man is in another portion of this place, Hades, which is a bad place. And he can see and hear what goes on and where Abraham is, but there's a gulf or a chasm or a separation fixed that you can see and hear, but you can't get there. And that's only temporary. The place in Hades where the rich man was was very hot. It was terribly hot. But it was sort of this compartment where not a stone's throw, I guess you could say, or uh, you know, on the other side is the place where Abraham and Lazarus was, and it was a good place. So I don't know if, you know, maybe the good place was climate controlled. Maybe they had a really nice mini split that was cooling everybody down. But either way, God knows what he's doing. Um, it's been said that death is the great equalizer. Proverbs 22, 2 tells us the rich and the poor have this in common, that the Lord is the maker of them all. So Lazarus had faith and trust in God in spite of his sufferings. Right? We, again, in America, you know, in every church, it could be in continents, right, across the seas. It could be wherever, Europe, Africa, Asia. Uh, but basically, there's, there are doctrines of men. 
and women that don't jibe with what God's Word says. So in America, our attitude is we're going to make things better, and you can see we're printing money like crazy. We're going to throw money at everything. It doesn't solve any problems. We keep doing it. It's not solving poverty. It's not solving cancer. It's not solving anything. But we just keep doing it anyway. Well, according to the Bible, you know, even make per a person better. You know, they'll be a better person if you just throw money at them. Well, according to this, Lazarus had faith and trust in God despite his poverty and his suffering. The rich man neglected God in spite of his blessings. Interesting, isn't it? So, I'm going to warn you. We're going to put up an image. And it's sort of my chicken scratch. I had to do it in 10 minutes because... Somebody had passed away, and I was told in the middle of the week that I was going to be doing a funeral on Saturday. So, so forgive me when you see the diagram, but it's biblically accurate, and it's, you know, I, I kind of wrote it out really quick. And this is what, when you, when you read the Scripture, now this is the Old Testament and the New Testament, you put them together. There is a place, right, uh, in the Old Testament, the Hebrews called it Sheol, or the realm of the dead. In the New Testament, just different names, Hades. And here are these two separations, these two areas. We're told in the scripture that it's in the heart of the earth. Now, the heart of the earth is very interesting because if you study geology, there is a, a soft core, uh, you know, very hot, and then there's a, a solid core. There's mostly nickel and iron, and that causes a magnetic field. This is fascinating how God created everything. This magnetic field actually extends over into the atmosphere of the earth, which protects the earth from solar winds. Solar winds can strip the ozone layer and strip the much-needed atmospheric le uh, layer. When you really think about how everything was created, it didn't happen by accident. There's too many checks and balances to it. But we know that the, the center of the earth is very, very hot. Um, so basically, when we read this, and we look at this prior to Christ, is that when after bodily death, the spirit and the consciousness... For the unsaved, go in this area where the rich man is. And this, the, for those who are, have died in faith like Abraham, end up in a better place, Abraham and Lazarus. Right? When Christ died on the cross, we're told in Ephesians that Christ actually came. In order for people to be in the literal, physical presence of God the Father, Christ had to die for our sins, past, present, and future. So this area was removed right jesus came and freed these people we see this in isaiah 61 ephesians 4 8 through 9 and then second corinthians 6 10 they go into the presence of god this area is still inhabited and you know at the end they face the judgment in revelation 20 and they go to the lake of fire um listen it, it's a hard truth and why does god share this with us because he doesn't want anybody to go there John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. The next verse, 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him, through Christ, the world may be saved. Well, what about the Hindus? What about the Muslims? What about the Jews, the Catholics, the Lutherans? Anybody can trust in their Savior. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament tells us in Jeremiah 31 that another testament was coming, right? So when you really think about and you research life and death, you'll always come to the, the right conclusion. So Christ didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world because we condemned ourselves, the human race, through sin. And if you don't think there's sin, all you got to do when you go home, 
is get on the internet news and see the horrific things that people do to each other on a daily basis. And people say, where's the justice? Something happens to kids and this and that. Right, I'm for justice too. God is going to mete out his justice on those who maybe people think they got away with it and they died and they were never caught up with and prosecuted. God's going to deal with that. So you can't have it both ways. There is going to be justice, right? But there's also going to be mercy and grace because Christ died for the sins of the world. He died for my sins as well as yours. And, you know, if you're interested, you can see me afterwards and we can talk more about it. But, you know, people plan for vacations and 401ks and retirements, but very few people plan for where they're going to spend eternity. And we're told this so that we can research it and make the proper decisions. And it doesn't mean coming to this church or this denomination. It means coming to your creator. It's that simple. There's no strings attached. So let's look at nine false doctrines. I'm going to do eight now and one one later that people believe that according to Jesus, they're not true. Number one, the first false doctrine is annihilationism. And again, a lot of atheists hope, and a lot of atheists come to Christ at the end of their life. They realize it, right? Um, Sickness and, and old age and getting close to the end gets people to actually think. And I've met people who, at the last moments, they have given their life to Christ and He has accepted them which is a good thing. So annihilationism teaches that there's no consciousness after death. I can live however I want now. Who cares? I'm just going to, I'm here to have fun. Don't care. Because when I die, my brain, EKG, EEGs, everything flatlines. That's not the case. Okay? These people were very well conscious of what was happening. Two, this is, I don't look at this as a big deal, but I hear this a lot in funerals, and, you know, everyone's sad, and I don't go correcting people, but they talk about, you know, Bob or Fred, now he's got his wings. The angels have the wings. They're a different creation. They carried Lazarus, his consciousness, his essence, his uniqueness, into Abraham's bosom. So, two different uh, creations, humans, angels. Angels have their wings. We don't get wings, sorry. But we're going, to be do, we're going to be doing amazing things when we get into that realm. I covered that in Revelation. Three, some believe in the doctrine of soul sleep. And if you look these up, some person came up with this. Why? There's really no rhyme or reason. They just had come up with this stuff. So soul sleep says immediately upon death, the believer is in sort of a comatose or an anesthetic uh, state until the resurrection, but not according to Jesus. You're immediately conscious, the, the wicked, uh, the rebellious, and the righteous. Immediately conscious upon death. You're not floating around somewhere like you're, you know, you've been put under anesthesia for a surgery. Four, there's no such thing as reincarnation. The belief that there's a new embodiment of the soul into another person or an animal or an insect uh, after death, keep, keep doing it until you get it right, not according to Jesus. Lazarus was still Lazarus. Abraham was still Abraham. It, it's just not, it's not, it's not, and this, it's not just this. It's as many other things. Um, five, some people might take offense to this, but there's no cleansing fires of purgatory. That came from one book in Maccabees that a whole doctrine was made out of. If you find yourself after death in a very hot place, it's not a good place and it's not temporary. All fire does, according to Scripture, is it brings judgment, right? It brings judgment. So that's not a place... I I don't want to find myself in fire after death, okay? Uh, Six, there's no such thing as universalism. It teaches that people are punished for a while and then everybody gets to go to a good place and that's giving people false hope. 
That's not, that's not reflected in Scripture either. Seven, some people think that when you die, you don't remember anybody. You don't recognize anybody. That's not true either. As a matter of fact, I would say that your, your, your consciousness is expanded because now you're on the other side and there's truths open up to you. Because most likely, when Jesus tells this parable, Lazarus was more of, in, maybe in the first century, it was an observer, observation that Jesus made, the rich man, and Abraham existed many centuries before them. So Abraham knows Lazarus, Lazarus knows Abraham, the rich man knows Abraham, and the rich man knows Lazarus. So everybody knew, knew each other. So this idea that God wipes our memory, I, I don't, you know, the only thing that we're uh, protected from in the afterlife is pain and suffering, depression, PTSD, um, no more tears, no more crying, right? So how's that going to work out exactly? That's for another study. And then the, I hate to say it, eight is this dismantles be the belief that there's no literal fiery hell. It is what it is. Jesus taught us this to keep every, it's a warning. God warns us. Warning is love. When you talk to your kid when they're growing up about not touching the hot stove, or not running out into the street. And you might seem like, uh, uh, you know, the kid starts to walk and they're running and the kid's like, oh, mommy's, daddy's always, you know, it's annoying. No, it's not annoying. It's to keep you safe and not mangled. Well, the same thing happens in the scripture. Warning is love. Not the easiest thing to teach, but um, it's the truth, nevertheless. Verse 24, continuing on, then he, the rich man, now look at his attitude. So if some are tended uh, to say, wow, you know, it's, I'm feeling bad about the situation. Even in death, this man's attitude, it doesn't change. He had a bad attitude on the earth, and you get to see more of his bad attitude in this place of torment. So 24, and we're going to cover this. He cried and said, or he cried out, or you know, expressed himself and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So three out of five is it's too late to change after death. Um, it's very interesting because he doesn't say to Abraham, hey, can you extend the garden hose from there to here? He doesn't say, Abraham, can you bring me a cup of water? He said, send Lazarus. He is still looking at Lazarus as somebody who's beneath him. I don't think I'm reading into this because there's more to this. He's argumentative with Abraham. He's not really repenting. He's just saying, hey, I'm uncomfortable and I don't want to feel like this, right? He's still desiring to be served. Um, and Abraham's response, if I could paraphrase, I don't run the place and there's boundaries. You know, this is, it's set up and I can't. There's certain things I just can't do. Right? Verse 25, Abraham says, remember you received good things. Now, he's not saying if you experience hardship on the earth, you automatically go to a good place. And if you experience pleasure, you automatically go to a bad place. Right? He's just stating the facts of this specific situation. I have to say that because people can read the Bible and make any doctrine they want, just like the other eight that I spoke to you about. 
the rich man did not allow his blessings to bring him to God. Think about that. All the stuff he had. He fared sumptuously every day. In those days, to be able to eat, you know, this just was a certain diet in the first century that most people couldn't afford. But this guy had it every day. He was clothed in purple. Purple, I believe, at that time. Now we have uh, more modern standards of, of making dyes. But that color meant everything. It came, I believe, from a mollusk. Um, and they would get that purple dye out of it. And there was only certain people who could afford anything with a purple color. So, you know, whatever. Today, people have Louis Vuitton and all these different, you know, status symbols. And he, all he had to do was wear the color purple. And everybody was like, whoa, he's got a purple robe. So every day, this guy had this stuff. And he did not allow his blessings. He didn't thank God for his blessings, right? But Lazarus didn't allow his poverty to keep him from God. See, sadly, the rich man allowed these good things, good things, and he allowed them to keep him from God. I can't stress that enough. And I would just say this. Let's just take a breath for a minute. I'm talking to myself. Uh, Basically, uh, to be careful how we handle good things in life. Amen? Because people will say, well, I don't, listen, I'm, I'm just barely making a living. There's a lot of scripture in here, and it James two sixteen, right? To say, especially with a, a brother or somebody that you know, and they're they're hungry and they're cold, and the scripture reflects, and you go to the guy and go, "Oh, uh, be warm and well fed." Bye. You have the ability to help them, and you don't. Matthew twenty five, the substitutionary principle, right? Those, Jesus said that he, this is an amazing thing in Matthew 25, he's separating the good from the bad and the good are brought into his kingdom and they're a little surprised that Jesus said, you did all these things for me. And he says to them, you know, when did we visit you in prison? When did we give you a, a cup of water? When did we feed you when you were hungry, Jesus? We don't remember that. He goes, well, if you've done it to these things, to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. So there are things that we do today out of compassion, Right? Listen, this is the Northeast in 2023. I get it. There's a lot of hard hearts. And you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your wallet. You know, you have to be careful. You have to have your head on the swivel in certain places. I get it. But there are going to be times where we can bless somebody. And there are just some that all they think about is how many likes they get on social media, the fashion statements they make, how their hair looks, their makeup, you know, guys with their toys and They just don't think of... You're just like this guy in the story. And that's where the convicting part comes in. As Christians, or even not Christians, how we live in our lives. How are... You know what? I I say this too, and and I've talked to a lot of people. I actually did an exercise once, and I'm not wealthy by any means. My car is kind of beat up right now. Um, But I actually can say, I'm not going to bore you with it, I could give 10 great reasons right now without writing it down, why I could be thankful and that I'm blessed. And we all can do that. I, I'm walking. I can think. You know, I can see. I can, you know, there's just a lot of things. I'm alive. I can breathe. I've been given a chance to do something with the life that God gave me. Oh, man, that's, that was only five. I can come up with 30, 40, right? We can all do that. So, you know, we have to say, with, and this was the parable... Um, actually last Sunday, with how do we serve God? You know, how do we volunteer? How do we treat others, right? 
So three out of five is just too late to change after death. Hebrews 9.27 tells us we are appointed to die once and then the judgment. There's no do-overs. That's why it is so important. You know, the mind, there's cognitive dissonance, there's dissociation. Like There's a lot of things you can study in behaviorism and psychology. And I see that sometimes at a funeral, people are they're receptive. And once they walk out the door, they shut it off. And they go back to the rat race. I gotta do this. I gotta see my boss on Sunday. I got a, I got a project I gotta do, and and that's the world. It, there's these little glimpses of glimpses of time. Maybe hearing this sermon. Maybe going to a funeral, where God tries to get our attention and say there is something more than the physical life that you're living. The atomic world, A T O M I C. There's much more than that, and we have to consider it. What I'm doing, I gotta be honest with you. I'm I'm warm right now. This is a little uncomfortable for me because I know I even got visitors. Full disclosure from your pastor. But I have to do it. I'm compelled. Because if all these preachers just preach wonderful things all the time and they avoid these types of subjects, when the end comes, God's going to hold them accountable for not telling the truth because they want to be liked. Listen, as for the first 10 years as a pastor, I, I lost that battle. I wanted to be liked by everyone. And it might have affected my preaching. Now I just... Something about it is when you get older, you just don't care. But um, <laughs> so young people are like, you don't care what people think of you. I'm like, nah. How do you do that? It takes time. But, you know, you've got to just please God. If you please God, it doesn't matter. If God is for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? Amen? So there's a lot here. Uh, you're going to find this one interesting after I, I go to number four. But verse 27, then he said... So he's, he's bargaining with Abraham, right? The rich man says to Abraham, Lazarus is quiet the whole time. <laughs> he's enjoying himself. He's like, oh, this is so much better than the life I lived on earth. He's not saying a word. And there's this banter between um, the rich man and Lazarus. He says, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would, it's funny, he uses these words that he didn't use in his life, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Boy, that's prophetic right there. Uh, four out of five is no crossing over. So this is the ninth for false doctrine. How many people remember that show with John Edwards, Crossing Over? Listen, they did an a, a investigatory sort of expose on that show, and it, it's a fact. They had people in the hallway just talking to the guests before the show started. They did selective editing. Supposedly, he contacts the dead, and he was, you know, and, and they do this. I actually was, was listening to 101.5. I was driving, and there was this woman who supposedly was a psychic, and I'm I did, a lot of, I did a lot of study in psychology and behaviorism, and I'm listening, I'm driving, and this woman is fascinating me because she's taking everything. She was playing the host. She was taking everything he would say, and she would compartmentalize it, and she would respond based on his answers. These people are swift. So they either are, are a fraud, they're really not speaking to the dead, or the worst alternative God doesn't allow this stuff, this crossing over. If they're speaking to supposedly your dead aunt, don't do that anymore because you're setting yourself up for a portal. It's not a good thing. 
their, their demonic realm talking to some of their useful idiots to get them to get us involved and get us... Well, there was, um, I actually read something. There was... Uh, well, I'm trying to think what country it was. Maybe... I don't want to say because I'm not, I don't remember exactly, but there was a bunch of people and kids and teenagers and they had this party and they were all playing with a Ouija board. Well, by the time the night was over, they had to be taken out of the house and there was like 20 of them. They all went to the hospital. They had anxiety. Some were throwing up. They were visibly sick from trying to contact. Listen, no crossing over. Don't do it. <laughs> it's, you're playing with fire when, when you do that stuff. So... Um, if it happens, it's not legit. It isn't your aunt. It isn't your grandmother. Um, so I, I don't, I don't want to be mean, but I'm also trying to just kind of be fatherly here spiritually and say, all right, so I'll say this. I probably shared way too much information. I went through a really bad time when I was young. And when I was a teenager, I briefly dabbled with some friends. They were bad friends. And they did some things that, let me just tell you something, I saw some things where I can tell you that if you want to contact the wrong, you know, fallen angels, they'll come and they'd be more than happy to have a discussion with you. So I, 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 got, I, I was scared. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. So it's, it's not crossing over people to people. It's people to charlatans, to the realm that wants to deceive us. And the Bible shares that with us. So Verse 27 through 28, the rich man was concerned about his five brothers and he wants to prevent them from going there. All right, maybe I'm reading too much into this, my conjecture. A lot of what this, his arguments are are very self-centered. Me, me, me. A deal, can I make a deal? Well, what about my brothers? Well, what about all the poor sick people that are probably still at your gates now and you're, you're over here, Right. It's, it's all about him. Let me, let me just say this too, is that I've seen the reverse where uh, there are people who hear a sermon and they really want to come to Christ, but they're so concerned about what their family is going to think, you know, or their religion is going to think. And there's such a, a, their peers, there's such a pressure, a social pressure. Can I just say something to you? Do you does anybody want to end up here? Because I know I don't. Stop being, stop worrying about what other people think about you. Do what's right for you. If God is trying to reach you, don't let other people squelch that. You know, we, we all determine where we're going to spend eternity. That's a power that God gave us. Um, so continuing on, verse 28, he said, send Lazarus to my brothers. Again, once, once again, first it was, we'll bring him over here and tell Lazarus to be the errand boy and, and take some water from my tongue. Now he's saying to Abraham, well, we'll send Lazarus, you know, to talk to my brothers. Again, it's the same mindset in life as it is in death. Verses 29 through 30, Abraham gives him a response and he says no. <laughs> so again, he still doesn't, I'm going to say it's an argument going on. He's trying to convince Abraham. He's still angling on the other side to get him to do what he needs to do. Um, and I would say this as well. Lazar, Abraham says to the rich man, God's word is enough. Now remember, this is pre-Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So he's like, they have Moses and the prophets. And he's basically saying, even if somebody comes back from the dead, it's not going to... There were two people that his brothers would have known, this is fascinating, that actually came back from the dead. Number one, was another guy named Lazarus, not the same Lazarus. 
Jesus raises this man, Lazarus, who was a, sort of like, my name's Joe, right? How many Joes are there in this area? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, but, so Lazarus, there was a meaning to it. It was a common name. So in John chapter 11, Jesus raises another Lazarus from the dead. It actually was a friend of his four days while he was in the tomb. And in John chapter 12, it actually says that the religious leaders sort of were trying to plot to kill Lazarus again uh, because they didn't want the resurrection and the idea of what Jesus was doing getting out. So the, the brothers would have known, number one, everybody knew that in Bethany there was a miracle, right? Lazarus was risen from the dead. The most important one is that Jesus rose from the dead. And again, you don't have to take my word for it or even the Bible's word. Roman historians ascribe to these things, right? There's a lot of Pliny the Younger, Tacitus, uh, Josephus. There's just a lot of them that spoke about Jesus after his death. They didn't know what he was doing. They called it magic. They didn't know any better. They didn't understand the miracles of God. So, so they were, what he's, Abraham is saying to him, and he has this wisdom, is that even if somebody comes back, it isn't going to make a difference. The other thing that the rich man might have been saying was, I, I need my family to see a miracle or a sign. Now, there's a whole movement today that everyone's about signs and wonders. They go from church to church looking for signs and wonders. But Revelation tells us that the Antichrist and his minions will do lying signs and wonders. Remember Moses and Pharaoh? Moses, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's men, right? They were evil. They were able to do some kind of supernatural works because you know, they were inspired by the dark side. So to, to go after miracles and signs without the grounding of what the, what the Word of God says can deceive you as well. There's a lot of minefields in this, in this world, unfortunately. Um, so five. Five out of five is no one has to go there. Right? God wouldn't warn us about something so frequently. Somebody uh, calculated that Jesus spoke more about judgment and, you know, this sort of thing in the afterlife than he actually spoke about heaven. Why? Because he wanted to warn humanity about this thing that's coming. And for those of you that, that ask, actually in Daniel chapter 12, right, the Old Testament spoke about this stuff too. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel was a great prophet of the Old Testament. He said that some would die and go to everlasting contempt and some would go to everlasting righteousness. So even the Jews had an understanding of a permanency depending on how you lived your life and what you believed and you know, your, your faith in, in God, so to speak. So there's, there's a con contiguity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me just say this, is that salvation is, is simple and easy. It really is. Today you could think about what I'm saying and maybe... Go through the Bible yourself. If you want a Bible, we'll give you one for free. You could take it home. Go through the entire thing. And then come to your own conclusions. And you could, in the privacy of your home, say, you know what, Lord? Wow, that pastor kind of freaked me out a little bit, but I am interested in learning about you. If you exist, please reveal yourself to me. And he can do it through many ways. And you can say, all right, I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior, and that's it. You're saved. You can avoid all this. It's, it's very simple. The beautiful thing about what Christ did is you could be rich or you could be poor, you get the same salvation. You could be ambulatory, do, good, do a million good works, ambulatory. Or you could be confined, a quadriplegic, and do nothing and still be saved. Christ levels the playing field. 
you could have a million likes on uh, what are the TikTok or whatever these things are, uh, <laughs> or you could have no likes. Nobody could know you. Maybe you're quirky and you don't have any friends, but you know, you have God. You get the same salvation. Isn't that beautiful? You talk about we talk about equity and fairness and equality. We all the time in this country. When you follow what Jesus did, you could be black, you could be white, you could be rich, you could be poor, you could be Republican, Democrat. <gasps> did I say that? <laughs> no, that other side. God, stop it. It's, it's, that's a big tent, man. When Christ calls you and you respond, it's a big tent. You could have been incarcerated. You could have been, you know, the, the epitome of your, your city and your state. You get the same salvation. Isn't that beautiful? And I feel like I have to say that because this teaching is, sometimes it's, we don't talk like this all the time. It's just where we are in Scripture. So uh, let's look at this as well. Lazarus was hoping for crumbs on the earth. The rich man was hoping for a drop of water in Hades. The rich man couldn't understand Lazarus' suffering on the earth. Lazarus couldn't understand the rich man's suffering in Hades. Do we ever try to understand the trials and the difficulties of others in this life? You know, I think our culture teaches us to be self-absorbed and self-centered, to actually go out of ourselves and care for somebody else. The woman whose funeral I did yesterday, it was amazing. It was, uh, it was a celebration. People were laughing. They were smiling. They had tears of joy because they knew this woman. All she did was care about other people, and we miss her. But we're, we're joyous that she went to be with her Savior. I was with her in uh, some of her last moments, and she said, Pastor Joe, like she just was, she was, she was having some physical ailments. She said, first thing she said when I walked in, she goes, Pastor Joe, pray Jesus takes me today. <laughs> she was so matter-of-fact, a great saint, um, had no fear. She just was looking to go and be released from the shackles of her physical um, chains, so to speak. Uh, but again, do we, I, I say that, you become, you, you become, you feel more of a sense of, of actually worth when you affect change for other people, when you con concern for others, you're a good listener, you're like, wow, I'm having an effect on people, and I, I'm not super educated, I don't have all these degrees, but I'm just being a human being, and I'm just asking God to help me. Uh, Mark 8.36, Jesus asks a question. He said, what is a prophet, a man, or a woman? If they gain the whole world, but lose their own soul. So right now, could be watching on the live stream, could be here in this place. There are some people that are just so self-absorbed with their own lifestyles, with their own stuff, with their own things. I was a police officer for 25 years, pastor for 20. I've gone into a lot of houses where a lot of valuable stuff was left behind. You can't take it with you. Accumulation and accumulation and accumulation. What Jesus says is that that build up those treasures, right? <laughs> I was talking about last Sunday, SVB, the one bank, now another bank collapsed, and everybody's like, where do I put my money? Right? One lady had $40,000, all she had in a safe deposit box, and the feds did a sweep, and hers got caught up in this one place, and she's like, I got no, I need to get my money back. So today, you know, it, there's a lot of instability, but when you follow the Lord and build up those treasures, they last forever. And they accumulate with interest, spiritual interest. Um, I would just say that don't be like this man. You don't have to be. Give your life to Christ. Trust Him. Read the Scripture. See what God's plan is for your life. 
be saved and enjoy the kingdom when you get there. Every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10:30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.